this morning, I'm going to confess that I've got sort of conflicting emotions going on about this whole thing. Uh, There's a part of me that really wants to isolate. I mean, I understand the people who've been uh, sending back notice that they're not quite ready to come back to church yet. I get that. Um, (laughs) It's it's kind of a a revelation to me to understand that I'm in a high-risk category. You know, it's called old person, and that's, that's where I am right now. And uh, so I, I understand the, the need to sort of lower the risk level. You know, everywhere you go, everyone you deal with, uh, you add a layer of risk to your life. And uh, some people are just set and ready to go. They just absolutely want to get out and do. And, and they're willing to take that risk. And uh, because they're out there, I'm not willing to take that risk maybe. Um, and so wherever you are on that, that's just, that's just who you are. And, and um, you, you need to be... Uh, uh, very wise and very considerate, and, and obviously uh, just go with your best understanding. Uh, so I understand the whole thing about isolate. I'm for that. Uh, on the other hand, my whole life has been about congregate. It has been all about bringing people together. You think about our church, one of the primary things we do is we worship. We're called a congregation. Uh, it's just the Latin word meaning to come together. That If you were to say the same thing in Greek, it would be synagogue. That's a coming together. Uh, the um, uh, Greek word for church, ekklesia, is actually a coming together. Uh, we usually uh, speak of it as called forth, but it's called forth to a meeting. Uh, in fact, the ancient uh, Greek cities used to have city councils, and they were called ekklesia because they were... Uh, coming together. They were having a meeting. And so at the the very heart of who the church is and what we do is the idea of congregating. And then a lot of our ministry and our outreach to the community is about bringing people together, getting a lot of people in one place so we can share the love of Christ and the the truth of the gospel with them. Our our upwards awards ministry, our um, uh, trunk or treat uh, ministries, you know, those kinds of things are about coming together. So There's a part of me that's really into isolate, and there's a big part of me that's really into congregate, and they haven't quite come together yet. So we're still working on that, and we're coming um, to some resolution on that. And and I'm sure you're you're going through the same kind of thought processes as well. Uh, You know, the the other part of it is that that, uh, uh, in my mind, I really want to stay. I want to stay home. I've got my library at home now, and my books, and the internet, um, got uh, my hobbies at home. Uh, you know, a lot of things we can do. It's not a dull place at all. I'm, I could, I, I'm in for staying. But then I hear the words from Jesus who said, go. And so here we are. And even as believers in Jesus Christ, we're, we're given this, this um, sort of dynamic in our lives where we want to be considerate of our community and certainly the health restrictions that are going on. So we want to stay and we want to isolate. Uh, but at the same time, we know that the Holy Spirit will lead us and will lead us one day again uh, to fully uh, congregate and to fully go out uh, in a physical way in sharing the gospel. But until then, we can still live in that ambiguity and we can still be faithful to Christ. I want to point you to uh, the Great Commission. This is in Matthew chapter 28. And as you look at that, and as we look at it together, I think we'll see something of how even in the midst of a swirling uh, mixture of yes and no, stay and go, 
uh, that, that yet there's a command that Jesus gives us that we can be fulfilling even now, even though we have limited mobility. And as we phase back into regular life, uh, there, there, sh- there could be some restrictions on that, yet we can be faithful uh, to Christ's command to us. So I want for us to look at the Great Commission for a few minutes uh, this morning, and as we do so, to just uh, understand how the Holy Spirit is leading us to be obedient to Christ. Um, this is found in Matthew chapter 28. It starts at verse 16. And now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And evidently Jesus had given them this word. It's part of the other uh, resurrection accounts as well. And so uh, the disciples had gone there at the commandment of Jesus. Uh, they knew something had happened. They had heard the report of the of the women. They knew that the tomb was empty, that no one could find the body of Jesus. And even some were saying they had seen the Lord. And, and so there's a great gathering. Now, it's not just the 11. We should probably think of also the 500 that uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, who also saw the Lord. Uh, this, this could be a part of that. So it, it, it may have been a, a larger gathering than just the 11, but they are certainly at the forefront of the leadership. And then in verse 17, we read this, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's an amazing verse that explains a lot about human nature. There they are, and Jesus is with them. They can see him. They can touch him. They can hear him. All those things that people say they have to have before they believe were there in front of them. The very physical evidence of the resurrection. And yet they started to doubt. There, there's, there's something about the human mind and the human intellect that even when we're confronted with the undeniable truth of what God is doing, yet we hold back and we start to find reasons to question and uh, we don't want to plunge in and we don't want to commit ourselves. I mean, we don't know this doubt could have been the doubt such as Thomas who loved Jesus so much that he said, I'm not going to believe until I, I see and touch. And yet here, here he is and they could see and they could touch. It may have been the, the doubt that, that, that comes to us when we are in the midst of a, of a life adversity or a challenge in life and we know God is present. We can see evidence of him working and yet we're filled with doubts as well. In other words, it's not just these people gathered in Galilee uh, to see Jesus that yet they doubted, but it's also within our own lives. We have this mixture of, of belief and doubt, of, of worshiping him and yet not quite knowing if we want to, to um, plunge in with a full life and full-hearted obedience. And so they worshiped him, but at that same time they were doubtful and we can see it in our situation today that we have this, this confidence in God and this confidence in the presence of Christ, confidence in his words spoken to us. We are so confident in the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have moments of doubt, moments of question, and moments of, well, what is this going to mean? What are we to do? And so Jesus comes to the disciples in this moment of swirling doubt and worship, doubt and certainty, and with very real human beings. He talks about the authority that he has over us, the commission he gives to us, and his presence that is always with us. And that is his answer to our doubt and our uncertainty. 
And so as they came to him, some worshiped, some doubted, verse 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an amazing statement. All authority has been given to me. The authority to teach belongs to Jesus. We know in his earthly ministry as he taught the people, uh, they were amazed because, as the scripture says, he taught as one with authority and not as their rabbis, not as their teachers. See, the teachers back then, whenever they taught the scriptures, they would always do it in terms of, well, Rabbi uh, Hillel says you should do this, and Rabbi Shammai says you should do this, and Rabbi Gamaliel says you should do this, and they were always quoting somebody else. When I was in college and university and graduate school, uh, you know, whenever I wrote a paper, they really didn't care what I thought. They said they did, but let's, let's understand. They didn't really care what I thought. I had to footnote everything. Anything I said in a paper had to be footnoted that somebody else had said it first. That I wasn't just spouting, I was talking on the basis of somebody else's authority. But when Jesus taught, he taught with an authority of his own. He was the only one who could ever say, you have heard it said of old, but I say unto you. He does that six times in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say unto you. He has the authority to teach. He has the authority to define what is true in our lives. He has authority over nature. Uh, and, and that's the, the point of the miracles where he stills the water, uh, changes the water to wine. He, he has the power over the, uh, the laws of physics and the laws of nature, the things that govern the world around us. Jesus has authority over these things. That's why when we study science and when we listen to to those who have studied the world around us and they give their, us their observations and, and what some of these things mean. Uh, we, we praise God. We glorify God for these things. Because without God's wisdom and God's power, these things would not exist at all. And without His grace and His mercy, we could not understand them at all. And so Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over the world. He has authority over little teeny tiny viruses. He has the authority in the world. He had authority and has authority over sin. This is the one thing that drove the the Pharisees up the wall. They didn't understand how he could go around acting like somebody who forgives people because that was the prerogative of God. That was something only God could do. And Jesus said, yeah, that, that's right. It's something only God can do. But so that you know, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He would heal a man. He would raise him up out of his paralysis. He would give a visual demonstration of the spiritual reality that he has the power over our sin. When he was dying on the cross, Jesus asked that the Father would forgive them for they know not what they do. As the thief was dying next to him, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Only someone who could forgive the sins of the thief could say that. And so Jesus has power over sin. He has power and authority over uh, our sin today, your sin, my sin. He has this power and he has this kind of authority. Jesus has the power over life and death. He has the power of life. He has the power to give life. He raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jairus' daughter. He he, uh, raised the, the son of the widow of Nain. He has the power to give life. But even more than that, he has authority over the grave because that tomb is empty. 
The body they laid in the tomb of Jesus is the body that came out of the tomb of Jesus. You, you just don't look for Jesus among the dead. You don't seek the living among the dead. He's not there. He's risen. And that's what these disciples were experiencing, the authority that Jesus has over even the grave. Now, at this point, you're sort of getting the, the idea that Jesus has all authority. There's no aspect, no, no, no area of life that is not subject to his authority. And there's no person who is not subject to his authority. And let me tell you this. Jesus does not give up his authority for anyone. He doesn't come to anyone and say, oh, well, if, if you'd rather not, I won't be authority. No, he is glorious, marvelous, wonderfully beautiful, and he has sovereign authority over all creation. So in the midst of our doubt and confusion, in the midst of our wondering what's going to happen, in the, in the midst of, of trying to feel our way back into what life is going to look like and trying to return to something that, that is a little bit fuller and deeper maybe than what we have now, we can be uh, assured of this. Jesus has all authority. He already has the authority to bring about the perfection of his will, not only in the world around us, but the perfection of his will in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the home in which we reside, among our loved ones, Jesus has all the authority. Well, then secondly, Jesus talked about a commission that he gave to them, and these words will be familiar to them, in ver to you in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This has been the great commission of the church. For many people, this command to go, therefore, and make disciples has been a physical going. It has been a leaving of home and homeland, of leaving family and friends and going to some foreign field and learning a different language and, and being uh, accustomed to a different culture and there in that environment, sharing Christ with those who've never heard before. And we thank God for the great missionary movement of the church and the, the willingness of so many to answer the call to go out physically. But this is a commandment that is given to all believers. Those who came and worshipped him, though they might have some doubt, they worshipped him nonetheless. He said, look, because I have the authority, when you are going out, I'm telling you, go out and be intentional about this. You make disciples. I want you to go forth. That's, that's been the, um, the, the guiding principle of the ministries of our church, is to go out and to reach out, and to make disciples. And so wherever you are in life today, this commandment is still, the commission is still to be very intentional and go and to be useful in the hands of the Holy Spirit in bringing others to know Christ and bringing others to grow in Christ. Because when Jesus said go, he said, I want you to make disciples. That's what Jesus had been doing for the, what so uh, three years or so of his of his earthly ministry. He called men to himself and he began to teach them. He showed them the scriptures. He explained how the Messiah had to come and to be crucified and rise again and ascend and return. He, he taught them all these wonderful truths about Messiah. And he said, and I'm the one. And he applied that to himself. He was bringing unto himself a group of men uh, that became his followers, they became his disciples, they became his students. And so he brought them to be disciples. And that's what he spent his earthly ministry doing. When you think about it, all the 
miracles that he performed, all that he taught. It was all designed to bring these, the, the, these people, this group of folks who were following him, to bring them to a deeper relationship with him, that they would be disciples. Jesus explained what a disciple is. He said, look, if you want to come after me, if you want to be a disciple, he says, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So that's what we're challenging people to do, is to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to, to lay their lives on the line, to deny themselves. It, it's a stringent life. It is not an easy life. It's not the life that the world would choose. So often the path of, res, uh, of least resistance is the path of the broad way of, of unrighteousness, and the path of following Christ is the narrow way, the straight way. But Jesus calls us to discipleship, and he says, and as you go out, as you live your life, make sure that you are also leading and calling and challenging others to be followers and disciples of Jesus as well. And he says, and here's how you do it. I want you to go make disciples, and as you make disciples, be sure that you baptize them. Now, baptism itself is not a ritual that somehow uh, is... is, uh, uh, efficacious in the removal of sin just by its practice. I mean, if that were the case, we would simply hose people down and that, that would take care of it. Now, disciple or baptism is a moment in which a person says, I am dead to sin. The old self is put to death. Jesus Christ has raised me up to newness of life. Baptism is a proclamation of the death of Christ for our sins and his resurrection so now we might live in the power of his resurrection. Baptism doesn't represent something we do or something we have done. Baptism points to who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so when Jesus said, go out and make disciples, baptizing them, and specifically in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is bringing them into a personal relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, that baptism representing the fullness of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's why it's called gospel. That's why it's called good news. And so Jesus said, God, and baptize. Challenge people to make a decision for Christ. Challenge people to make that decision that their loyalty, their, their allegiance, their life belongs to Jesus Christ and they will follow him. Baptism is not a simple sort of thing, just sort of a, a sort of a, a um, kind of a thoughtless thing to do. Baptism rather it rather represents a real choice being made, and a real decision being made, and a life being changed by the power of God in Christ. So Jesus said, "Go out and baptize people. Lead them to Jesus. Lead them to make a decision. To actually make a decision." Christ. And he says, and then as you have baptized them, and that, that just represents making that decision of entry into the family of God, he says, then also baptize them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. You see, there you see basically the Christian life. One is to be saved and the other is to grow. One is to come to Christ and the other is to follow Christ. One is to make that decision that my life belongs to Jesus and then to spend that life in obedience, learning of him every day. But Jesus said, teach them what I taught you. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that in the 40 days after the resurrection, as uh, the last chapter in in Luke uh, tells us, that Jesus spent his time reminding his disciples that that, uh, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writings 
All of these things pointed to him and the necessity of the cross and the resurrection. It was sort of like a a, a quick run through the Bible for his disciples. He'd been teaching them all along, and and he he spent that time uh, showing them what was in the Scriptures about him. And I'm, I'm sure the disciples just those 40 days kept saying, Oh, so that's what that means. Oh, now I understand. So that's where that fits in. You know, it was just one aha moment after another. And Jesus says, you go out and you teach others as well. That's the pattern of Christian life. Now, one of the things that we struggle with, because we have the stay order and the go order, and the one of the things we're struggling with is how do we fulfill the great commission in our own congregation, and in our own church. I mean, we're looking to get back together and to worship together, but there's some other things that have to do with health priorities um, in, in terms of teaching. We want to teach our children the Scriptures. We want to gather them together and teach them. But at the same time, uh, well, we believe in miracles, but it's very, very hard to get preschoolers to social distance. Now, it's, it's very, very hard to get little tiny um, bundles of energy to sit still, much less to sit still, still six feet away from one another. And then on top of that is the fact that some of our, our children's teachers are folks in that danger category. Some, uh, many of our older saints teach children. We have people with compromised health situations who teach children. And so it, there, there's a real decision to make and a, and a real uh, process to work through. But what I can tell you is the goal is that we would teach children Jesus and that we would bring them to see him. Uh, one of the great things, one of the teaching experiences of the church is just to have children see grown-ups, not just their parents, but their parents' friends and, and other uh, adults who love Jesus with a passion. And as children see that all around them, it starts to soak in that, oh, I'm not just learning kids stuff. I'm learning about life and life everlasting. And I see it in the people around me. We want our children to have that. But before we get to that, and, you know, and we're working towards that, moms, dads, in the home, you need to be teaching your children, and leading them to Christ, and teaching them everything that Christ has commanded us in a way appropriate to the age. We need to be going into our homes. I know you're there physically already, but spiritually have an intentionality to go into our homes and there in our homes to be proclaiming Christ and challenging every member of the home to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Some of you have been struggling with that dynamic for for many, many years, and you're no stranger to what I'm talking about. I just want to encourage you from the words of Christ to keep at it and keep being obedient and keep sharing Christ so that others will see Jesus in you. They will hear the truth of Christ in your words and in your actions. And you will be challenging folks to a decision to Christ and teaching folks by your example in Christ. We're not sufficient for these things. I know we're not sufficient for these things, but God's Holy Spirit is. God's Holy Spirit is more than able to accomplish these things in us. And that's why Jesus not only talked about uh, the authority that he has over us and the commandment that he gives to us, but he also talked about his presence that is with us. The very end of the Great Commission, the Gospel of Matthew 28, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, "I, I never leave you. 
It's not as though you have to go find me and have a, a, a little session and then you're out on your own. He says, no, wherever you go, whatever you do, in this whole process, even though there's confusion and doubt, even though there's a swirl of, of enthusiasm about worship and yet some hesitation and doubt about what's going on around us, even though you, you're a mixture of these kinds of things, Jesus said, I'm still with you. I'm still there. I'm not going to leave you. And that's the promise that we have from Christ himself. And so I would say, parents, in the presence of Christ, just live out the presence of Jesus in front of your children, especially in these times. They, they know, the, the kids in our homes, they know that this is odd. They know that this is not supposed to be normal. And they need to see, how does mom and dad, how do my parents respond to this? And they need to see Jesus in your response. They need to see the wisdom of Christ in your response. You know, spouses, husbands, wives, just love each other all the more. Love each other because Christ is in your home. And one of the meanings of discipleship is to put on exhibition what it means for Christ to love the church and the church to love Christ. And make that a reality in your marriage. You can, you can be doing that. And by the way, you're, you're teaching your kids every day what marriage is like by the way you you uh, uh, treat one another in front of your children. But especially understand that Jesus Christ is real. He's real in your home. As, as Randy said, you don't have to come to church to find Jesus. You don't have to be in this building before Jesus is present in your life. You don't have to come together and hear a, a preacher and a sermon. You don't have to come for that, although I want you to, but you don't have to before the Word of God is real and true and active and, and vibrant in your life. You see, we can, even though we are in a stay-at-home situation, we can have a go-into-all-the-world mentality. And even though uh, we, we are, have our, our, our lives sort of constricted and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, just brought to narrower sort of um, uh, avenues, yet we can live in the fullness of of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so what I'd like to challenge you to do you know, in your home is to start looking at your home as a missionary field, as a place where, you know, and, and you know, praise God if every member of the household is a believer in Jesus. You know, praise God if every member in the household is growing in Jesus. Let it be a place of growth. And let it be a place that whenever folks come into that, that home in your home, that they know Jesus is Lord. And they see it by your actions and they see it by, by how you treat them and they hear it in the words that you speak. If there are folks in your home, and, you know, especially smaller people, children in your home, and they don't yet know Christ, they haven't come to that belief yet, be sure and share Jesus with them. Remind them that, that his presence is real and that he takes care of us through all these things and that we can have complete confidence that Jesus takes care of us because he loves us. And he's present now. Look at your home as being a missionary field where the Great Commission can be lived out. Because even though we're living in an odd time with, with regulations and rules and you know, all those kinds of things, Jesus has not surrendered his sovereignty. He has not given up his authority. And he is no less Lord of all. Lord of every part of creation. Lord of your life. And Lord of mine. Let's worship him. We may have doubts, but let's worship him. Pray with me, would you please? 
And Father, I pray for the homes in our church that have small children, that you would bless the parents and that you would make each home a sanctuary of your presence. And Father, may our hearts be burdened for those who are lost. And this morning, may we especially have a burden for the smallest ones in our homes that we can speak to now and reach now and love now and share with now, that they might know Jesus and come to love him and adore him and treasure him in their hearts. We want to serve you, Father. We want to show our love for you in our daily lives. And so send your Holy Spirit upon us that we would have the power and the courage of obedient faith to be your witnesses in our world and in our home. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.